I'm using like my ancient old laptop. I just, it's so old. I don't even know if it's working. Hoping that the audio is going to be okay. Hi, and welcome to the Unashamedly Human podcast, where we explore how we can better understand our thoughts, feelings, and actions, change our results, and feel less alone as we navigate this crazy little thing called life. My name is Emily Chadbourne, and I recorded this episode live in my free Facebook group, Unashamedly Human with Emily Chadbourne. If you're not a member yet, head to the show notes to join this global community, and you'll be able to join me live next week as I record the next episode of Unashamedly Human, the podcast. Make sure you follow me on Instagram too, Unashamedly Emily, and enjoy this episode. Dear Em, I've recently been given some feedback that I can be quite pessimistic. I know I often assume the worst. My friend mentioned I should start rewriting my stories, but I honestly wouldn't know where to start with that. Do you have any advice? So throw me some love hearts if you resonate with this idea of feeling a bit pessimistic at times. Um, I just want to start with this. There's nothing wrong with being a bit pessimistic. I think we've been fooled over recent years into this kind of like insta ideal, this kind of like bullshit paradigm that we should always be happy or that like happiness is our birthright. You go and tell some children in Syria that happiness is their birthright. Off you go. Like it's such a privileged white Western thing to proclaim, isn't it? Happiness is your birthright. And so I just, I completely, I disagree with it to its core. I don't, I believe that suffering is your birthright. And I believe that you can learn how to suffer well and that suffering needn't be a self-perpetuating cycle. It can actually be quite a glorious and life-enhancing thing. But I don't believe that happiness is your birthright. I think it's a, a lie that we have been sold. I think it's a capitalistic dream and I don't think it does any of us any good because I think it demonizes huge parts of us. It demonizes those bits of us that get really sad and get really upset with things and get really angry and really mad. And and these waves of being a human being are just that. They are waves and some of them come and some of them go and some of them glorious and some of them are utterly horrendous. And when we demonize the horrendous ones, we actually get trapped by them. We don't end up facing them. We don't end up accepting them. And we end up being sort of swirled around in them even more because we're like, oh, my God, I shouldn't be feeling like this. Happiness is my birthright. What's wrong with me? I need to be positive. Hashtag affirmation. That cycle needs to stop. I'm a huge believer in pessimism and I'm a huge believer in hard days and I'm a huge believer in suffering. I don't think these things are bad. I think they're hard, but I don't think they're bad. Don't try and be overly optimistic about life because that's just not realistic. There's a load of things to be pessimistic about at the moment. Look at the state of the world. I don't. I think we need to be a little bit more scared. I think we need to be a little bit more realistic. I think we need to be a little bit less. Don't worry about it, guys. Everything's going to work out. Is it? Is it going to work out? I think we should be taking some action towards and be and be fueled and propelled by this. Like, what if it's not going to fucking work out? I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. I think um, we are in danger as a whole collective, especially here in the West, of spiritual bypassing and spiritual bypassing in its sort of grossest sense is 
pretending like everything is okay so you don't have to face the big stuff and then calling that you know sort of spirituality it's like man i'm just like so connected with the earth man i'm like are you sipping through your fucking plastic single use straw are you really like you know it's this kind of idea of just like if i ignore the bad stuff and just focus on the good stuff all of the time then i will only ever feel good things and it doesn't work and it's really dangerous and i think it denies huge parts of ourselves and it denies huge learnings so that's the little rant that I wanted to open with. Don't try and be happy all the time because it's not possible. And you will be more unhappy in trying to make yourself happy all the time than you would be if you just accepted that sometimes you're really unhappy and sometimes life is a bit shit. And sometimes there seems to be a lot of gray and not a lot of light. Like it's okay. I think when you look at like how we are designed genetically to live, which is not in this big, massive 7.7 .7 billion smudge pot of connection. We're not meant to be living with artificial light. We're not meant to be consuming what we're consuming. We're not meant to be as stimulated as we are right now. That's not me preaching. That's just biological fact. Our physical beings are not designed to handle this much stimulation, this much stress, this many people, this much experience. And so we are kind of battling against that, which is why I believe in part we are seeing such a rise in anxiety and depression and people feeling like they're not really coping with modern day life. We have forgotten that we belong to the land, that the land does not belong to us. We have forgotten how to live without constant stimulation from external sources. And I think that that is paying a toll on our nervous systems. So when you go back to how we are, bless you, Theodore, when you go back to how we are sort of genetically designed to live, we're designed to live in these small tribes. And the pessimistic person was a really important member of that tribe. Because if you've got a tribe of people who are just like constantly like, everything is great, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about that storm rolling in. Hey, guys, I've got a plan. There are no holes in this plan. You need the pessimistic person to be like, I see a massive fucking hole in that plan and that storm is going to kill us. We need to run. So there is like, there's a real place for pessimism. We see it even in the boardroom. You know, if you've got a group of people who are all sitting around being like, oh, my God, this app is going to be amazing. Let's launch it tomorrow. It's completely ready. I really believe in this. I feel really good about this. You need someone with a different mind frame to come along and be like, OK, guys, I'm really loving the enthusiasm. But have we looked at the fact that right now we don't have an audience to sell to? Have we looked at the fact that we don't have the back end? Like we need someone to come in and kind of be a bit more like, oh, I see some holes in this plan. So the role of pessimism is a really fucking important one. Do not think that because you have been brought up in this weird, overly positive culture that you are wrong for being pessimistic. You're an important part of society. Society would fall apart without pessimistic people being like, oh, actually, should we put some traffic lights there? You know, like it's, it's an important role that you play. It's about whether or not you have found the appropriate avenue in which that kind of innate and inherent pessimism is going to be really useful. And it becomes problematic 
when it becomes catastrophization, when you become that person who can never see any good in any situation, who refuses to believe that any plan is a good one, who's constantly worried to the point of anxiety, who pisses all over other people's dreams, that's when it becomes problematic. Obviously, I only have very limited context here from the question that has been emailed in. And if you have a question for next week, please info emilychabon.com. Feel free to let me know or you can drop me a PM or a DM. Pessimism is fine as long as it's not causing you undue stress and it's not disconnecting you from your community. If that is the case, then there are a number of things that you can do to as your friend suggested, try and reframe some of the pessimistic assumptions that you have about life and some of the pessimistic loops and stories that you find yourself sort of circling in. I want to give you three really tangible things. There are a number of things that you can do, but these three were the first three that sprung to mind. So they're the three I'm rolling with. All right. The first one is that you can delve deep into your origin story. So some people, some practitioners might call this shadow work. Again, I just hate that term. I think it's become kind of like bastardized a little bit. Anyway, personal opinion aside, I like to call it origin story or belief work. So this is through, and I would recommend that you find a coaching framework to work through this. The Unashamedly Human Hub obviously has one, but there are other coaches and practitioners and courses out there where you will be able to do this work, where you basically go back to some of your childhood shit and you work out why you are the way that you are. Now, like I mentioned earlier, some people are naturally more wired to looking for the holes in a plan, right? And we call this pessimism. Pessimism? No, we don't. We call it pessimistic. Pessimism, that's the word I'm looking for. But a lot of us carry around a whole set of thoughts and beliefs and experiences which create a kind of like persistent fight, flight or freeze feeling inside of us. So it might be that somewhere back in your childhood, you experience some trauma that you have, because of the intensity of it, shut down and you constantly want to hide from and you're not willing to face And it might be that doing some trauma work with a professional certified counsellor or therapist would be a really great way to unpick some of that neurology that has now formed because the way that we kind of respond to trauma is that we create all of these strategies around defending ourselves against experiencing it again. So that might be I protect myself from rejection by building up this defensive wall and being like really like, oh, no, fuck you. I'm going to get to you before you get to me. Like the Billy, the Billy, God, I can't speak today. The bully is the classic example of this, right? The bully has been hurt so much to the point that they are now deploying a strategy, which is if I can attack you before you attack me, then I will be safe. So I'm going to put you down before you can put me down. I'm going to bitch about you before you can bitch about me. So we see in adulthood, all of these strategies, most of which have been developed and formed in our formative years. So the imprint years, which is zero to seven, when we are coming into our consciousness, because we're not born into full consciousness, it develops throughout those first seven years, roughly of our existence. And we begin to develop all of these strategies based on how we have connected to love, how we experience fear, whether or not we feel safe, 
these experiences that happen to us in our childhood home, in the school playground, in our religion, in our friendship circles, the relationships we have with our siblings, we begin to form these strategies and we begin to form these impressions and these beliefs and these identities that are all designed to try and keep us safe. And if you've got some shit that's going on there that maybe hasn't been addressed, what we can see in later life is somebody who is extremely pessimistic because they're always looking for the next danger the next shit thing that's going to happen to me. And if I can predict it, then maybe I can be safe from it. If I can assume the worst in you, then I can be prepared for the worst in you. And I'm more likely to be able to save myself in that situation. Now, the irony of this, right, the kicker of this is that actually that's not really how it works. So Brene Brown would call this foreboding joy, for example. The irony being that you don't actually save yourself from any hurt. It hurts just as much. And in the protectiveness and in the defensiveness that you are building, that hard shell that you are building between you and the outside world, what you're also doing while you're protecting yourself is that you are creating a barrier between you and the connection that you actually desire. Because you can't just protect yourself from the bad stuff, you protect yourself from the good stuff as well. And this is what we mean by foreboding joy. It's like never really allowing ourselves to release into the divinity of a situation. It's never allowing ourselves to really ex be excited about a situation because we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. We're always waiting for it to go wrong. We're always waiting for it to be taken away. We're always waiting for it to collapse around our ears. And so this strategy, which I see a lot of my clients deploy when they begin working with me of, well, if I can assume the worst in the situation, I will be prepared for the worst in this situation. Believe me, it doesn't work like that. A, a classic example of that that I have for you, which is a personal experience, was watching my mum die of cancer. You would think that watching her go through chemotherapy, mastectomy, recovery, not recovery, re-diagnosis, watching this journey would prepare you for her death. It doesn't. It, knowing that she was going to die, preparing myself pre-grieving did not help when she actually died. It doesn't work like that. All you do is deny yourself being in the experience and having the beauty of that experience. And again, I think this is a, a sort of Western disease that we have created for ourselves, which is we are not very good at dealing with the fallout of a situation. We're not very good at sitting in the absence of the thing that we loved. We're not very good at having anything taken away from us because we're not very good at sitting in the present moment and accepting what is. We are told and sold to this dream that we can always have what we want. And that's not the way that life works. And so when we sort of sit in those periods of like, oh, you know, that thing is no longer in my life anymore. That person is no longer in my life anymore. That experience is no longer with me. We create an attachment to what we wish was. And so then we sit in suffering of what it no longer is. So um, it's probably getting a bit deep for this particular podcast, but you know, I think going back to your origin story, going back and doing some belief work and finding out if there is something that has happened in your past that could do with some attention so that you can drop the strategy that you're currently deploying, which is potentially, oh, well, if I just wait for the bad thing to happen, then I'll be ready for the bad thing to happen. 
that might free you to an extent to really live in the present moment and really appreciate what is happening and not live in the anticipation of what is happening going away. I would highly recommend, and I recommend that everyone do this. It doesn't matter what strategy you're playing. It doesn't matter whether you're pessimistic, optimistic, or somewhere in between. I recommend everyone goes and does belief work and does that sort of origin story work because it is amazing what you will find out about yourself. And the more that you have self-awareness, the more grounded and knowing you are in yourself and the more trust you will build in yourself and therefore the energy that you bring into the world will be one of deservingness it will be one of an understanding of self it will have this wisdom this belief that you will be okay and that energy manifests amazing things so i would recommend that everyone go and do belief work you will know yourself so much better on the other side of it if, like me, you love reading cool stuff, listening to interesting interviews and hearing funny, quirky stories that feel really relatable, then sign up for my famous Friday emails. They're jam-packed with awesomeness, and if you sign up and you're not into it, you can always unsubscribe. Link in the show notes, and I look forward to being in your inbox on Friday. It's Friday! The second thing comes from the work of Byron Katie. So in the hub... In module two, we talk about managing the mind. And I use Byron Katie as an example of some really powerful questions that you can ask yourself so that you can reframe what is happening and and look from a different perspective. We get really tunnel visioned as human beings and we forget that the only person of the 7.7 .7 billion people on this planet at the moment, the only person that is experiencing life the way that you are experiencing life is you right now. Nobody else in the world sees it from your point of view. Nobody else in the world sees through your eyes, hears through your ears, feels the things that you are feeling. We are unique, like little snowflakes. Boop, 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 boop. Little snowflake dance. La, 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 la. Look at me, mummy, I'm special. Right, we are. We're all real fucking special, man. So the work of Byron Katie is really profound, very simple, as most of the profound things tend to be. In the hub, I actually bulk her work up a little bit with some other questions. What I teach is self-parenting and self-coaching through the hub. I think it's really important that we have the tools and the resources to be able to go, oh my God, okay, I'm feeling this resistance to life at the moment, feeling like I'm not really integrating with my life at the moment, like what's going on for me and that we've got the tools and the capabilities at our fingertips to be able to self-coach ourselves and self-parent ourselves through those harder bits of life. I'm a huge believer in the Aquarian age all being about self-parenting. So I added an extra few questions into these four, this four question framework by Byron Katie, just to really help people um, expand their perception on a situation. So the four questions by Byron Katie, and you can just look up this, it's called The Work by Byron Katie. Go and Google her. She's a fucking legend, man. So the first question is, is this true? So the next time you find yourself having a really pessimistic thought or you're, you see all these holes in these plans or you're just in that kind of like Eeyore state, right? Where you're really like, nothing's going right for me. Everything's... And you find yourself being really pessimistic and you've got a story on loop in your head. The question to ask yourself is, is this true? Is this story true? Now, because truth is so fucking objective and there are as many truths on this planet as there are people, 
you have to give yourself a little bit of credit of, well, maybe the story that I'm telling myself is not true. So let's say, for example, you walk past a friend, right? And your friend kind of doesn't really acknowledge you in the way that you want your friend to, right? You're both walking through the high street and you're like, oh, look, it's, it's Jane. And Jane walks past and she's like, hey, and carries on walking. And you're like, oh, well, what the fuck's going on with Jane? What have I done to offend Jane? What's so wrong with me that Jane hasn't stopped to have a chat with me? And you make it all about you because as human beings, we always make it about us, right? So you are now creating this story in your brain, a really pessimistic story, which is that Jane doesn't like me. I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy of friendship. And you end up going into this full spiral that ends up with you being a worthless piece of shit on the floor, right? So when you find yourself in that cycle, and you can translate that in any way you like. Could be that you're not worthy of getting the promotion. It could be that your boss absolutely fucking hates you. It could be that your partner's a complete arsehole. Whatever it might be, this, these four questions work with everything. But in this particular instance, that's just come to me. We've got Jane walking past you in the street and she hasn't acknowledged you in the way that you think she should acknowledge you. And now you've created this story that it's because you are not worthy as a friend. You must have done something wrong. You're a terrible human being. The question you need to ask yourself is, is this true? Is it true that you've done something wrong, that you're a terrible human being or that Jane is a bitch? Whichever story you've decided to create for yourself in this situation, is it true? Now, you might be like, well, of course it's true. Look at the way she reacted to me. Which is where the second question comes in, which is, can you be sure that it's true? Can you be absolutely 100% categorically, there is no possible other way that this is true sure that it's true and that second question always stops me because my first question is normally full of like bluster and the indignancy and the righteousness and but the second question but really emily is it really true and you're like oh god hang on a minute is it really true this story that i have assumed and the way one of the ways this has really helped me was with my um, dad, actually, because I used to have this story that my dad shouldn't judge me, that my dad should just love me unconditionally in everything that I do and he should never find fault with me. And as a result, I had quite a tense relationship with my dad. And it wasn't until I started asking myself, is it true? Is it true that my dad, who is a human being who is full of his own protection mechanisms and strategies and ways of looking at the world and experiences, which I will never understand. I will never know what it's like to be my dad. Is it true that he should never judge me as a human being, a flawed human being? Is it true? Now, my first response, well, he's my dad. You should But then I asked myself that second question. Is it really true? Can you be 100% sure that this is the absolute God-given truth, that your dad should never judge you as a human being to another human being. And that's when I was like, oh, okay, it's actually not true. It is not true that my dad should not judge me. Of course he's going to judge me as a human being. And that unpicked so much resistance and tension that I had with my dad. He didn't change at all. But I changed and that changed our relationship. The very powerful questions, is this true? And can you be absolutely sure that this is true? So you've got Jane, she's walking down the street. She doesn't give you the attention you think that you should get from her. 
you have decided that because either she's a fr- shit friend or you're a shit human. Is it true? Can you be sure it's true? And that is the, the ultimate starting point for any shift that you desire for yourself is that you've got to start seeing that your perception might not be the only perception. It might not be the only truth. It might not be the only reality. It might not be even real. It's just the way that you have interpreted a situation. From that space, we then ask ourselves another two questions. And that they are, and I'm paraphrasing them. I'm not getting the wording completely correctly because I've kind of created my own little experience of Byron Katie's work. The third question then is, well, how do I act when I believe this story or this truth, right, that I've created? So how do I now, in the context of Jane walking past me and not acknowledging me in the way that I want to be acknowledged, how do I now react to that? Well, maybe I call another friend. Maybe I call Emma and I'm like, oh my God, what's going on with Jane? And I get really defensive and I get really bitchy about Jane because I feel really threatened because I've created a story in my head from a truth that is not the truth that Jane doesn't really like me. And so now all of my fucking origin stories get triggered. All of my childhood trauma gets triggered. All of my, oh my God, I got bullied in the playground shit gets triggered. And so now I'm like, oh, how do I protect myself? How do I protect myself from this thing that might be happening in front of me that I've just created in my own head? Well, I'm going to attack Jane before she can attack me. I'm going to pick up the phone to Emma and I'm going to be like, Gina, what's going on with Jane? Oh, she just walked past me, miserable bitch, didn't say anything. I knew she was angry that I bought the same shoes as her, blah, 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 blah. So you've got to ask yourself, when I believe this story, how do I become? Who do I become? What do I now manifest in my reality? What drama do I create in my reality when I attach myself to this truth that might not be true? That step, that third question, that's why we take full fucking responsibility for our manifestations. That's when we realize that we can't just go around being like, well, Jane, fucking Jane, We have to be like, no, me, I take full responsibility for how I rock up and how I create my own manifestation and my own perception of reality through the thoughts that I have, the way that I feel about those thoughts and therefore the actions that I take in response to those feelings. That's my shit. That None of this is Jane's shit. Jane was just desperate for a piss and walking past at high speed, right? Or about to get a parking ticket and wanted to get to the car park before a fine or a million and one other things that might be going on that got nothing to do with me walking down the street. But because I make it about me, I've now created this extra drama in my life that was completely unnecessary. So this is where we take full responsibility for ourselves and our actions and our reactions, The fourth question is then to sort of future project. And that's a very powerful technique that we talk about in coaching is this idea of future projecting. Okay, so what would I be? What would happen? What would I be free to do? How would it feel if I chose not to believe this truth? What would be different? Who am I without this truth? So who am I with it? And who am I without it? Well, if I chose not to believe that it's always about me, fucking newsflash, what do you mean it's not always about me? Bless you, Theodore. If I chose to believe something different, if I chose to give Jane the benefit of the doubt, if I chose just to sit in the ambiguity of the situation, be like, oh, I don't know what was going on with Jane there. I hope she's okay. Then what 
what am I free to do? Who am I free to be? How am I free to act? Well, then maybe I wouldn't cause a big old fucking drama stir by calling my friend Emma and being bitchy about Jane. Maybe I would just get on with my day. Maybe I'd flick Jane a text saying, hey, you look like you're in a bit of a hurry earlier. I just wanted to send you some love. Let me know if there's anything going on for you. Maybe it might actually improve my friendship with Jane. Maybe Jane really needed to get that text from me. Maybe I wouldn't then, you know, go off in a huff and go home and be annoyed with my partner and be angry with my kids and be in a bad mood all day. Maybe I would be free to just continue to bound around in this bubble of love. I would also just be free to be like, wow, that really triggered me. That's really funny. I'm just really consciously aware now of something that's been triggered in me. I'm going to go home and I'm going to journal about that. I'm going to go and I'm going to speak to my coach about that. I'm going to go and I'm going to put a post in my accountability group about that. I'm going to go and sit in my mastermind or with my friends or, or with some trusted people who I know, love and really trust. And I don't just mean like your mates. I mean, really trust who are doing this work as well, who understand where I'm coming from. And I'm just going to say, hey, I got really triggered and I'm going to sit with it, uncomfortable as it might be. I'm going to explore it. I'm going to get really curious about myself. Now, we can do that from a place of I'm not sure whether the truth I'm telling myself is the real truth or whether it's just a reaction to somebody else's reaction to something else. But we can't do that from a place of assumption. So those four questions by Byron Katie, like I said, just go and check her out, the work by Byron Katie. But I, I use those four questions and I pad them out with some other questions as well in um, the Manage Your Mind module um, of the hub because it's such a powerful, it's so powerful to, to recognize your own trigger and to run through a framework of questions which you can do instantaneously and just be like, okay, how do I want to react to this situation? And there's a massive difference between reacting, which is, Jane just looked at me funny, and then responding, which is like, huh, okay, what am I telling myself about this situation? Do I want to believe that as a truth? What's going to happen if I believe that as a truth? And what would happen if I don't believe that as a truth? And, and am I okay to just sit in the ambiguity of this situation for a bit and give myself some time and, and self-reflect and self-parent? And then from a calmer place, decide to take some the next step action, whether that be reaching out to Jane, whether it be just meditating, sorting out my own shit. Would you like daily text messages of support, positivity and love sent personally from me straight to your phone? Then sign up for Wake Up With Em. It's the affirmation service you didn't know you needed. The first month is free if you follow the link in the show notes. Good morning. You're awesome. And then the third thing is meditation. And before you roll your eyes, hear me out on it. I'm about to record a course which will be available at a really, really, really low investment, free to anyone in the hub about how to meditate. And I think meditation's gotten a bad rap. Again, what have we done over here in the West to meditation? I think we have this like perception that that meditation is like the Zen Buddhist monk type of meditation where you're meant to sit and empty your mind for 15 minutes. And it's just not, it's not how meditation works. Certainly not in the beginning. Maybe we get there after years and years and years. But in the beginning, meditation is sitting with yourself for 20 minutes in silence with an unlocked mantra, unless you've been given a specific mantra, and 
sitting with yourself in all of the uncomfortability, in all of the agitation, in the whirring of the brain, in the stories, in the truths, in the non-truths, and just coming back to the mantra when you realize that you've forgotten to speak the mantra to yourself. What we're doing when we meditate is we are connecting to a being state. Now your being is the bit of you that knows that you are having a thought, which is why we suggest that you bring a mantra into meditation and then forget the mantra and then realize that you've forgotten the mantra in that moment where you're like, oh my God, hang on a minute. I'm thinking about what Jane did earlier in the high street instead of repeating the mantra to myself. In that moment, that's when you stop being your thoughts and you come back to the the thing, the consciousness, the experience, your soul, your spirit, whatever you want to call it, who is aware that you are having thoughts. And that is the state that we want to attach ourselves to as regularly as possible, because that is like the gateway into witnessing who we are, why we are being the way we are, the stories that we might be telling ourselves. And it's in that being state that we can witness ourselves having these stories and disattach from the reaction to those stories. So what we want to do and what we practice in regular meditation, and I don't mean like, oh yeah, I meditate on a Sunday morning. I mean daily consistent practice of meditation is that we are strengthening our ability to drop into that state of being instead of being instead of being in the state of doing. So being in the state of doing is rah, 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 I attach myself to my thoughts. I don't give myself the opportunity to ever come out of the, the way that I think to consider that this might not be the truth. Whereas being is I am witnessing myself having this experience right now where Jane has just walked past me. Something has been triggered inside of me. I have assumed something from that trigger and now I want to defend myself because of that trigger. And now I'm about to go and pick up the phone and call my friend Emma to bitch about Jane. Hang on a minute. Do I want to do that? Being is the witness state of watching the incarnation of Emily Chadbourne take action and have thoughts. But being is not Emily Chadbourne. When I am being, I am before Emily Chadbourne. I am witnessing Emily Chadbourne doing what Emily Chadbourne is doing, thinking what Emily Chadbourne is thinking. I am not my thoughts. Especially if you find yourself in a loop of continual catastrophization or undue stress because of your natural leaning towards pessimism, which again is not a bad thing. We need pessimistic people. But if that your natural leaning towards pessimism is, is causing stress and drama and disconnection for you, then I would highly suggest that you begin a committed practice of meditation, even when it feels hard, even when it feels gross, even when it, you're not enjoying it. One of the most divine experiences that has come for me through meditation is the ability to sit with hard emotions and to be able to view an experience not as good nor bad nor positive nor negative, but as gratifying or ungratifying. Some of my meditations are very ungratifying. I don't enjoy them, but they have of equal value to my life as the really gratifying meditations. And it's the same with your day-to-day -day experience. A bad day has equal value to a good day. It's just the way that we choose to interpret that good day or bad day. We try and resist the bad days and we attach ourselves to the good days. And that is ultimately what suffering is. It's either 
resistance or attachment. So I highly recommend as a way of breaking through this pessimistic cycle when it's not resourceful for you to create a sustained and consistent practice around meditation. And like I said, like there are amazing apps out there. I'll link a few in the show notes. I trained with Johnny Pollard from One Giant Mind. I'm about to start my Kundalini level one training, which is all about meditation and connecting to your higher self, i.e. your being state. So there's a lot of that coming in the hub. And like I said, I'm going to try and get that basic 20 minute a day meditation course out. It will only be short course and it'll be very low investment um, before the end of this year. So um, Headspace is a great place to start as well. Insight Timer, we've got some beautiful meditations. The difference between a guided meditation and sitting in silence with your soul is massive. Guided meditations are really nice for relaxation and a bit of mindfulness, but you really want to be building towards or just committing to 20 minutes of silent meditation a day, at least twice if you can. I meditate twice a day for 20 minutes. And that might sound like, well, how do you have the time to do that? Well, if you've got time to scroll through Instagram for 20 minutes or watch an episode of Friends for the 57th time on Netflix, then you've got time to sit with yourself for 20 minutes and learn how to connect with yourself so that when shit happens, which it will, predicting that it's going to happen doesn't mean that it's going to protect you from it happening or lessen the pain of it happening. If you want to learn how to lessen the the or, or not even lessen the pain, but build your resilience to what is happening, then sit in meditation with yourself. All right, that's what I've got for you today. I'm just going to run through the comments and the questions. I try not to stay pessimistic for too long. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I, I sometimes give myself like a grump timer. Like right, I'm allowed to be really grumpy about this situation for like 10 minutes and go. And then the timer goes off and I have to pull myself out of my hole. I have to parent myself. I have to kind of laugh at myself. I have to consciously and purposefully look at a different perspective. Um, Carly, it teaches us what we need to change. Yes, absolutely. Great live. Um, thank you so much to listen to. I've got to go now, but we'll listen again later. You're welcome. Yes, it might be true for one person, but not another person. Absolutely. There are as many truths as there are people in, in exactly the same way. There are as many opinions of you and identities of you as there are people who know you. Yes, I'm feeling attacked right now about there potentially being different viewpoints and having my own sometimes fucked up story. Yes. And so what do we do when we feel attacked? When we create a reality where we are being attacked by somebody else, how do we respond and then how does that response continue to manifest in our reality? It's a really powerful question to ask yourself. How am I contributing to this? Um, how am I contributing to the thought and feeling? Yes, absolutely. Secondary pain. Yes, Tez. So that's a phrase, a tool that we teach in the hub and, and a tool uh, a tool that we teach in the hub and a phrase that we use quite a lot. What's the secondary pain? What's uh, How am I contributing to the pain of the situation? Um, people are excited about learning meditation. That makes me happy. This is spot on for me today. I'm committing to learning the practice of meditation. Awesome. It's coming your way in the hub real soon. That's it for today's episode. I trust you loved it. And remember, you can join me as I record these episodes live. All of the details are in the show notes. If you love this episode, I'd really appreciate you sharing it on your socials. And please tag me, unashamedly Emily. You can also share it through Spotify. And if you're listening on iTunes, then please rate and review. It really helps other people find this valuable content. 
And as always, nothing beats a good bit of word of mouth. So let your mates know all about this podcast. If you're interested in joining my global coaching community, the Unashamedly Human Hub, check out the link in the show notes. See you in the next episode and keep being brave.